Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. If we haven't met yet, my name is Phil, and my wife and I are a part of the team here at Cornerstone, and we are so glad that you're here. You were greeted on the way in, whether you're in the building or whether you're joining online, you were greeted on the way into service today, but we just wanna take a moment right now and say that we're so glad that you're here. It is our heart that you would encounter the living God right now, that you would not see me. I know that you are seeing me with your physical eyes, with your natural eyes, but it is our heart that you would see and hear God in these moments. It has been my prayer over the last few days that you wouldn't see me, that you wouldn't receive what I have to say, but that you would receive something specifically that is going to change your life. That's my prayer for these moments. We took a short break from the series that we were in called Healed People for the season of Easter and we're stepping straight back into that today. Healed people, we believe that we are healed people. We believe the old adage is true that hurt people hurt people but that the opposite of that is true as well, that healed people heal people. And God has called us to be healed people. And so we've been really intentional over the last few weeks in what it means to be a healed person. We're talking about how you can be a healed person because you can't bring healing into your community. You can't bring healing into your neighborhood. You can't bring healing into your household unless you are healed yourself. And so that's what we're talking about in this Healed People series. We're talking about what it means to be healed so that we can speak healing, so that we can speak peace, so that we can speak restoration. And that's what we're going to continue talking about today, and we're going to read from the book of 3 John 2. 3 John 2, it's such a short book. You're welcome to try and race me there, but I'm just going to jump in and start reading because we don't even have chapters in the book of 3 John. This is just 3 John 2, and it reads like this in the NIV. It says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Even as your soul is getting along well. Another version says, even as your soul prospers. Your soul prospers. And that is our prayer today, that all may go well with you and that your soul may prosper. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you again into this place. I ask that you would bring healing and that you would show us how we can walk in healing today. That this would not just be a moment in our week, but that this would be a change in our lifestyle. We're thankful for your heart that is towards us. We're thankful that you love us. And I'm thankful that you are in these words and in these moments. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful for what you're getting ready to do. Only you know what you're getting ready to do, and I am filled with anticipation and excitement for what you are getting ready to do. And I thank you in advance for it. And it's in the name of Jesus that we've all prayed. Amen? Amen. Thank you, David. Meredith and I have a dog at the moment whose name is River. 
River is, he's like a, a three out of 10 kind of dog. He's not awesome. Um, he's not really that impressive at all. He listens some of the time, doesn't listen all the time. He listens to me pretty good, but he doesn't listen to Meredith or anybody else at all. You might know dogs like this. He's a, like a six out of 10, maybe, maybe like a C plus, maybe like a B minus if we were grading our dogs. And uh, he's the kind of dog that if you ever came over to our house, then he jumps up on you because he gets so excited. You know, dogs like this. And if we ever leave food, around, then sure enough, our dog River is going to jump up on the counter, help himself to whatever food has been left in the kitchen or on the dining room table. And no matter how hard we try and train this dog, this dog just doesn't want to get it. This is our dog, River. And the issue, part of what's frustrating about River is that he is a pointer. And pointers typically were hunting dogs, and hunting dogs are just awesome at being obedient and awesome at being trained. And so when we know that there are other pointers that are out there that can be trained well and can be obedient and can follow instruction, and then we look at River, well, we, we just get frustrated about it. So frustrated, in fact, that our son, Theodore, our five-year-old, he often picks up on the frustration that we have with our dog, River. And he said to us just a couple of weeks ago, he said, Mom, Dad, I think that we should take our dog, River, back to the store where we got him from, and maybe we can get a new dog that listens a little bit better than River does. And we had to have that conversation with him. I had to tell him, you know what? It's not actually about the dog river. It's about the owners. In particular, it's about the owner that doesn't <laughs> follow through on instruction. But that's our dog river. He's a, he's a six out of 10 type of dog. We used to have another dog named Zeus. Some of you will remember our dog, Zeus. Zeus was like a two out of 10 kind of dog. He was so filled with love. He just was all the time, always on top of you. He couldn't get enough of your presence and he was kind and he was gentle and he was obedient and he was protective when he needed to be. But all of these good traits only took place when we were at home. When we left the home, something called separation anxiety started to come out from the inside of him. And you might know separation anxiety. Separation anxiety is something that pets and extroverts have. And it's something that when you are around people, you're good. But as soon as you are no longer around people, then you start getting frustrated and you start getting tense and you start getting anxious because you wanna be around people and you don't know what to do because you've got separation anxiety. And so Meredith and I were young and we were in love and we had been married for like a year or two and we had just got this dog because we wanted to learn all about what it means to be people of responsibility. We were preparing to have children at some stage, and so we got this dog not thinking at all about what type of dog we were getting or how to train this dog or anything like that, and so we got this dog named Zeus that was a beast when we left the home, and we saw the very first time that we left the home, he destroyed the furniture in our home destroyed. I'm talking about like ripping apart couches, right? Just messed up the place. 
And so we realized pretty quickly that we need to invest in getting one of those plastic crates that we would put him in when we were leaving the house. And so we thought, well, good, we've got him inside a crate now. Now it's safe to leave the home. And when we came back, there was a big hole that he had chewed through the wall of this plastic crate. So we realized a plastic crate isn't going to do it. We need to get ourselves a metal crate. And so we got one of these metal crates and we left the house feeling good about ourselves. And then when we came home, there was a big hole in the side of this metal crate that our dog had pulled the metal bars with his mouth to get out of this metal crate. And so we realized the plastic crate doesn't work and the metal crate doesn't work. And so I was tired of losing furniture in our home. So we just decided to put him inside the garage. And we thought, well, if we can contain him inside the garage, then at least he won't start destroying the furniture inside our home anymore. And so we put him in the garage and we left. And then we came back home and there was a big hole in the side of our garage he had chewed a hole through the wall in our garage. And of course, our neighbors are not particularly big fans of ours at this stage because our dog keeps getting out and I'm trying to fix all the holes to the different walls in our home as he has been breaking through and trying to get out. No matter what we try, no matter what movie or, or video or training that we try and do, no matter what we try and do, this dog keeps on breaking out because he has separation anxiety. We try chaining him to a tree and he busts the chain off the tree and gets out into the neighborhood. Every single time that we get home, this dog has just broken free and is roaming the neighborhood. This is our two out of 10 dog, Zeus, who we loved like he was a 10 out of 10 dog because we were young and in love and he's our responsibility and he's friendly when we're home and so we keep forgiving him, right? But there was this one day that a animal was crossing the street and got hit by a car right outside our house. And our dog, Zeus, saw it happen. He watched this take place and he became curious about this. And so every time that we would take him out into the yard, he immediately would try and go to this place to get his curious nose around this space and find out what is this smell and what happened over here and how can I find out more about this? And so no matter if we took him out in the yard over here, we could see on his face that he was drawn to this dangerous place. And no matter how many times we tried to train him to stay over here, no matter how many times we tried to reward him and encourage him to stay over here, he was still drawn to this dangerous place. So much so that after the body of this animal has been cleared away, after days and days and days have passed by, Zeus manages to get out of the house like he always did one time, one evening when nobody was home, and he finds his way back onto the road and gets hit by a car, and our dog Zeus died because he was unable to stay away from this dangerous place. No matter how many times we worked with him, no matter how many times we counseled him, no matter how many times we gave advice to him, no matter how many times we rewarded him and encouraged him to stay in a place of health, he continually moved towards this place of danger in his life. No matter how many times we warned him, he continually moved towards this place 
of danger. And you're still thinking that I'm talking about my dog Zeus right now. But I'm not talking about my dog Zeus anymore. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about how many times you have been advised to stay away from this place of danger in your life, but you keep getting drawn back into that place. How many times the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life saying, stay away from that relationship over there. Stay away from that place over there. How many times your pastors, how many times your life group leaders have said, stay away from that dangerous place over there, but you keep getting drawn back. No matter how many times godly counsel tells you, to stay away. Did I just compare you to my dog Zeus? <laughs> yeah, I realized that I did. But the point is that there isn't a big difference in the story that I just told and what we too often do. I'm not talking about just sinning in a one-off moment. I'm talking about a lifestyle of sin. I'm talking about when we are continually drawn back into a place of repeat sin. I'm talking about not like just, whoops, I made a mistake, whoops, I missed the mark. I'm talking about repeat sin. How many times we continually repeat something again and again and again? And the thing that I know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just want a part of you to be free in a moment. The Holy Spirit wants all of you to be free all the time. The Holy Spirit wants to move and work in your life so that you are always free, that you are existing always in a place of freedom. And uh, there's this great theologian at the moment by the name of Justin Bieber who just wrote this song called Freedom. And in this song, he says, freedom, don't it feel good? Freedom, don't it feel good? When you've tasted freedom, you know how good it can feel, you know how good it can taste. So what I want you to do right now to the nearest two or three people that are sitting around you or to the people that are joining online, just tell them it feels good. Just tell them right now, freedom feels good. Come on, tell them freedom feels good. It feels good. It feels good. Put it in the chat. It feels good. Sometimes our struggles that we have are as a result of doors that we have opened in our own life. Sometimes... They are generational, and they have been passed down to us. They're not anything that we did, but they have been passed down to us through the generations that have gone before us. Let me give you an example. In Genesis, ooh, what a catch. In Genesis chapter 29, there's a scripture that we read about a guy named Laban. Laban has two daughters named Leah and Rachel. Now, Rachel was beautiful. Leah, not so much. Jacob comes along and wants to marry Rachel. And so he works for seven years at the request of Laban so that he can win Rachel's hand in marriage. And then Jacob gets so drunk on his wedding night that he thinks that he is marrying Rachel, but Laban switches the two women. Come on, you can't write this stuff. This is better than like This Is Us or any kind of other story that you might be watching right now. He, Laban switches the two women, and instead of Jacob getting Rachel, he wakes up in the morning and he is with Leah. That's the woman that he didn't want. Laban has deceived him in this story. But the thing about this is that deceit did not enter the story here. 
If you go back a couple of chapters, then we read about how Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, so that he could receive the blessing that was reserved for the firstborn, which he wasn't in his family. But deceit did not even enter the story here. If we go back a couple of chapters beforehand, we see that Jacob's father, Isaac, deceived a king in the area by saying that his wife was not really his wife, was in fact his sister so that he could protect himself. And when that king says to Isaac, why would you do this to me? Why would you bring this upon my family? He said, well, I I didn't get this from me. Deceit didn't enter the story here. I learned this from my father. And we go back a couple of chapters earlier and we see that Abraham, when he is traveling through the nations, takes his wife and says, this is not my wife, this is my sister, so that he can protect himself. And when you take a couple of steps back, you realize Abraham, deceit. Isaac, deceit. Jacob, deceit. Laban, deceit. We see that deceit is not just true for any one moment. We see that deceit is a generational thing in this family that has been passed down from one generation to the next. And when you look at this family, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be judgmental and say, what is going on with this family? But I gotta ask you the question today, what's going on in your family? What has been passed down in your family that would cause people to step back and say, what is going on in your family? Maybe the way that you were taught to look at women. Maybe the way that you were taught to talk about men. Maybe the way that you were taught about punctuality, about showing up on time. Maybe the fact that you are always late is not really about you. Maybe it was taught to you by your parents and it was taught to them by their parents. Maybe regardless of the fact of whether it's a place of employment or a volunteer place or a meeting catching up with friends, you can't seem to catch up on time. You can't seem to show up on time. Maybe it's not just about you. Maybe it's a generational thing that has been passed down to you from one generation to the next. See, we all have these family trees in life. We know about family trees. We know that when Meredith and I came together, we have two different families that were joined at that time. And you can track back your families through the generations and you can see their names and their birth dates. But we also know that what is passed through family trees is not just names and birth dates. We know that there are other things that are also passed down your blood lineage. We know that there are good things and we know that there are bad things. We know that there are blessings that come through your family line. And we also know that there are cursings that come through your family line as well. We know that there is favor that comes through your family line, but we know that there are also addictions that may come through your family line as well. So it is potentially true that the addiction, the struggle, the issue that you are wrestling with is not about anything that you did yourself, but it has been passed down through the generations to you. If I'm just like truthfully honest, just vulnerable in this place, the struggle that I have when it comes to this kind of context is an addiction to work, overworking, 
all the time. It doesn't matter what season of life it's in. It doesn't matter what job that I'm doing. It doesn't matter what project that I'm working on. It doesn't matter what task I have. Meredith knows this about me and challenges me rightfully on this so that I can make sure that I don't fall out of a place of health, that I am always making sure that I'm available to my family, that I'm available to my friends, that I'm available to my church, and, and that no job is pulling me out of a place of health. I know that there are tempting moments in my life at 10.30 at night to open up my computer and jump into my email and I make an excuse that I can do it because it's gonna free me up for the next day. And Meredith just looks at me in the living room when I open up my computer and she knows exactly what I'm getting ready to do and she looks at me with those big brown, beautiful eyes and I know exactly what she is meaning when she says this is not healthy for you to be doing this. And it's not just about the emails. I keep making excuses no matter what season that I'm in, if I'm just pushing hard in this moment, that when I round the next corner, when I get out of this season, I'll be able to take a break. I'll be more available to my family. I'll be available to my children. I just need to push through this moment and then I'll be able to take a rest. And then inevitably, every single time that I arrive at that location, I don't rest. I just pick up more responsibilities. I fill my time that I should now have with more tasks and more projects and more responsibilities. And I know that this is something that is not just true for me. I know that this has been passed down from my mother and it was received by her mother. And this is something that we have tracked back through the generations in our family line. And I wanna ensure that this ends with me that this is not something that I pass on to my children, that I find freedom in this season to ensure that my children start from a place of freedom, that they don't start with this that has been passed down through the generations. And so sometimes things happen generationally in our lives. Sometimes they happen in a moment as well. Sometimes an event will take place in your life and this event opens a crack for the enemy to step into your life. And when the enemy steps into that space, the enemy brings along with him fear and anxiety and pain and depression and burden. And all he needs is a crack. All he needs is a moment in your life. Let me tell you about another example. Years ago, I'm talking about like when Meredith was a teenager, she had an event take place where she was getting out of her car late in the evening, getting ready to walk into her house. And in those few short steps, she was with her brother, but she was attacked by a couple of guys as she was leaving her car on her way to her house. And thankfully, her and her brother were able to fight off the guys that attacked her so that there was no physical harm, no serious physical harm that took place with her and her brother. But that event, that moment, created a crack, created an opening that allowed the enemy to step in. And when the enemy had a foothold, the enemy brought along with himself fear and anxiety and oppression. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is that he wants you to be free 
The Holy Spirit doesn't just want you to be free in a moment. The Holy Spirit wants you to stay free. So the first thing that needed to happen for Meredith and for her brother was to break off the assignment of the enemy off her life. And not just for that moment, but then she needed to form the habit that it was okay for her to walk outside between her car and her house again. It would have been useless, it would have been foolish if she had received that freedom in that moment but then stayed in her house. And how many times do we receive healing but then we do nothing with it? God wants you to receive freedom. He wants you to receive healing and then he wants you to operate in that healing. It's not just good enough to have it for the moment. He wants you to operate in that. And why, this, why is this important? When God made you, he made you spirit, he made you soul, and he made you body. You are a spirit. You have a soul, and you are in a body. You are spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your will. Your soul is your emotions. Your soul is your decisions. This is your will. This is your soul. And you are in a body. This is the vessel that you are currently in. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you are in a body. And this is important because at the moment of salvation, when you received Christ into your life, you became legally free as a spirit in that very moment. Legally, you became free in that moment. But freedom is not just a moment. Freedom is also a process. You became free in this moment, but that freedom is not just a moment. It is a process that needs to be walked out. It's a process that needs to be worked out. When God gave the children of Abraham the promised land, he said to them, Canaan is your inheritance. This is your land. In that moment, Canaan became their possession. It became legally theirs, but they still had to occupy that land. There were still enemies that were in that land that needed to be driven out of that land. It was theirs, but it also was becoming theirs. You understand what I'm saying? Freedom is yours at the moment of salvation, but it is also becoming yours as a result of the process of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you. Freedom says that you are free in this moment, and you are also working it out with your soul. In the moment of salvation, God says that your spirit is now free. I am a captive no longer. My spirit man starts to rise up and says that I am free in this very moment. And then now that your spirit is free, your spirit starts to go after your soul. And your spirit man now standing up in all of his brand new found freedom goes after your soul and your spirit says to your soul, soul, it's time for you to get on out of that place. Soul, it's time for you to find freedom like I have found you. Soul, it's time for you to rise up. Soul, it's time for you to stop dealing with that issue. Soul, it's time for you to leave that place and find new freedom that God has called us to. Your spirit is free at salvation and goes after your soul that is constantly in battle. It's the decisions that you're making. It's the emotions that you're constantly wrestling with. Your spirit is free at salvation. But freedom is not just a moment. 
Freedom is also a process. That's why we wrestle. That's why we toil, because it is a process. I remember years ago when I was baptized in water. I had received Christ into my life already, and I had made the decision to get baptized in water. And I know that this wasn't just the teaching that I had received, but this is the way that I wanted to hear it. It's the way that I wanted to receive this. I believed at the time that when I went down into the water a sinner, that I would come up a sinner no more, which meant that I was no longer going to sin for the rest of my life. This is just the belief that I had, right? That God was saving me. I believed that I had already received God into my life. I believed that I already had the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And now that I was getting baptized, this was like the icing on the cake. And now I wasn't going to struggle with sin anymore. And sure enough, I get baptized in water and I come up and I'm expecting the clouds to open and the Spirit to descend like a dove and to say, I am so pleased with you, good and faithful servant. And sure enough, none of that happens. And then like an hour later, my brother says something that irritates me and I punched him in the arm or something like that. And I realized I've sinned and I felt horrible in that moment because I thought I've just gotten baptized in water. I'm now going to sin no more. I have Christ at work in my life. Therefore, I won't ever go back into this place of sin. I'm gonna keep moving forward into the things that God has for me. And I had to learn in those moments that we have this thing called sin nature. That sin nature bends us towards a place of sin and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives that he helps us move towards a place of making the right decision, that he moves us towards a place of healing and that our sin nature makes us wanna keep staying on this side. But it's the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives that helps us find freedom. I also had to learn that there is a difference between different types of sin. We don't talk about this often in the church. And I want to be very clear on this, that the blood of Jesus covers everything. The blood of Jesus covers everything. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do this afternoon. It doesn't matter what you just did. The blood of Jesus covers everything. It doesn't matter how, many, how small. It doesn't matter how big. The blood of Jesus will cover every sin. That's what grace is, that he is still at work in our lives. But there is a difference between sin and transgression and iniquity. This is something that we don't talk about often in the church. We talk about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and this is true. But there's a difference between sin and transgression and iniquity. And I had to learn this earlier in life because I learned that sin is simply falling short of the glory, that God has a standard of perfection and that sin is simply when you miss the mark, when you miss that perfection standard. It can be something, something that you do intentionally, it can be something that you unintentionally do, but that's what sin is. Sin is different than transgression. Transgression is when you make an intentional decision to do the wrong thing, when you intentionally decide to do something that God told you not to do, or when you intentionally do something, when you don't do something that God told you to do, when you leave out something he told you to include or you include something that he told you to leave out. That's what transgression is. We read about this in the story of Samson when he tells Delilah about where his God-given strength comes from. 
Samson didn't sin in that moment. He transgressed in that moment because he intentionally made the decision to include something that he was told by God to leave out. He transgressed in that moment. And then there's something else called iniquity. And iniquity is far deeper. Iniquity is far more perverse. Iniquity is more of a lifestyle of sin. Iniquity is premeditated. Iniquity is often repeat sin that we are struggling with. When we read about the story of David and Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and what David did in that situation to sleep with Bathsheba and then send Uriah off to war so that he would die in war, that was not a sin, that was not a transgression, that was an iniquity because it was premeditated. And you might think in this moment that I'm just splitting hairs and, and maybe this is just semantics and, and maybe that's true. But the reason that I say all of this is because there's a scripture that I want to point to right here in this moment as I begin to start wrapping up in Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus teaching the multitudes about the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in this moment is talking about people that have come to him but leave unchanged by him. People that come into his presence and are not changed by his words, are not changed by his testimony. And we read this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. It says to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you, you that work iniquity. That's a somber thought. Depart from me. That's what Jesus is saying. These are not my words. This is Jesus' words. He says, depart from me, you that work iniquity. And again, I want to be super clear about how the fact that Jesus' blood will cover all of it. Sin, transgression, iniquity. Is that clear? That the blood of Jesus would cover, cover everything. Can you tell me it's clear? Is it clear? Okay. So the blood of Jesus will cover everything. The issue with iniquity is that it is a lifestyle of sin. That when you stay in a place of iniquity, you stay outside of the will of God. You refuse to find repentance because you are staying away from what God says is good and profitable for your life. And so you continue to repeat the same old sin. You continue to stay away from the will that God has for your life. You continue to neglect what Jesus went to the cross to save you out of, and you continue to act in that thing. What he's talking about is people that come to the altar, people that receive salvation time and time and time again, but keep on sinning the same thing again and again and again. And again, I want to be super clear. He's not talking about people that are trying to get it right. The blood of Jesus will cover all of it. The blood of Jesus will cover any sin, any transgression, any iniquity. But what he is talking about is people that stay away from what God has called you to do. They say, Lord, Lord, I love you. Lord, Lord, I want to worship you. We try and cast out demons in his name, but we still stay in the lifestyle of sin that he went to the cross to save us out of. These are people who work iniquity. And you have the choice to either work iniquity or you can work something else. We see this in Philippians chapter two. It says, continue to work out your salvation. You can work iniquity or you can work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. 
And that's the issue with iniquity is that when you stay in a lifestyle of sin, when you stay in a place of iniquity, you no longer are in a place of fear and trembling of the living God because you have removed yourself and you're telling God, I'm good. I'm gonna act however it is that I wanna act in that moment. And you continue to live with repeat sin in your life. So you can either work iniquity or you can work salvation. And as a result, you have grace and freedom available to you today. Grace and freedom. Freedom and grace are yours here today. There's a a few keys that I wanna leave you with. I'm I'm gonna call these like, these are keys to freedom. And there's four things that I wanna talk about in this moment. These are not hypothetical things that I read about in a book. These are things that I have found to work in my own life, practically. These are ways that I can find freedom in my own life. Maybe these four things will work for you. I encourage you to write them down if uh, if you're trying to find freedom in your own life. These are four keys to freedom. The first thing is that we break ties with the enemy. We did this when we prayed over Daphne earlier. We break ties with the enemy. This might be soul ties. This might be doors that have opened up. This might be generational things that are afflicting and affecting you and your loved ones. But we break the ties. We break the allegiance with the enemy. That's the first thing that we do. We break ties. The second thing is that you pursue what you want. You pursue what you want, and what I mean by that is that you have to find something that you want more than the thing that you're trying to avoid. True and lasting change comes not just when you fight the old, but when you build the new. And so you can't just have healing in a moment, you can't just have freedom in a moment, you also need to walk that freedom out. You also need to live that, you also need to have that occupy the inside of you as you begin to walk that out in your life. And so if you're dealing with some type of sin, if you're dealing with gluttony, you can't just find freedom in this moment because your soul and your body still crave the things that you have been feeding it. So yes, you might be free in this moment, but your body is still craving all of the junk that you have been feeding it. And so it's time that we find new habits as we continue to walk out of the conviction the condemnation that the enemy has over our lives. That's the second thing. Pursue what you want. Don't just fight what you don't want. We build new habits. The third thing that we do is find life-giving community. Find life-giving community. I'm gonna talk about life groups every single week that I'm up here. I believe so fully in the power of a life-giving community. If you are someone who has been struggling with smoking for some years, surrounding yourself with smokers is not going to help you step out of that place of smoking. It's time that you surround yourself with people that are going to help you live out the life that God has called you to, help you live in the freedom that Christ has called you to live in. And so find life-giving community, either in the form of an official life group or or find life-giving community in some other organic way in your local community, but find life-giving community that's going to help hold you accountable, 
that's going to help call you on things, a place where you can be vulnerable in relationships, but find life-giving, godly, authentic community. And the fourth one is speak freedom. Speak freedom over yourself. Speak freedom over your spirit. Speak freedom over your soul. Speak freedom over your body. There is a time to accept. There is a time to acknowledge. But there's also a time to declare freedom over your life. Declare freedom over your life. I am not a smoker anymore. I don't struggle with overeating anymore. I don't struggle with pornography anymore. I have found freedom by the blood of Jesus and I am now free. We speak freedom over our spirit and we speak freedom over our soul and we speak freedom over our body because there is power in the tongue. There's power in the tongue. There's power in the words that you're speaking over others and there's power in the words that you're speaking over yourself. There's power in the words that you're thinking over yourself as well. And Jesus did not go to the cross just for you to experience freedom in a moment. He went to the cross so that you could live free. Not so that you could wrestle with the same sin for every single day of your life. He wants you to live free. He wants you to find freedom.